Church, how good it is as the church to come together and to worship our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Living Webster's Dictionary defines worship as the performance of devotional acts in honor of a deity. Performance of devotional acts in honor of a deity. We describe this gathering that we are in now that takes place week after week on Sundays as a worship service. We have listed worship as one of our core values as a church, along with discipleship and missions. What then is worship? What are the various components or parts of worship and what is our motivation to to worship God? Presently in the second part, the second week of a message series titled Be the Church where we're looking at some of the most foundational truths, some core truths, some core uh, teachings from God's Word that apply to us central truths about who we are as people who are part of of Christ's church. And last week we looked at the importance of believing, of believing the gospel, of believing the message of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. And today we turn our attention to worship. I think Jesus, as we would expect, helps us tremendously in understanding what it means, according to Scripture, to worship God, so let me invite you to open your Bibles with me to some words of Jesus recorded in Matthew chapter 22, looking at Jesus' words in Matthew 22, beginning in verse 34. And you know that Jesus was a fairly polarizing uh, man or figure in his day, still is in the world today, will be until uh, his return. Of course, those whom he healed, loved Jesus, but many, particularly the religious establishment, often questioned Jesus because he questioned them. They sought to test him, to catch him in a trap, and today's passage of Scripture is just such a test. So as you find your place in Matthew chapter 22, let me invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 34, Scripture reads this way. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. Remember, Sadducees and Pharisees, two groups of Jewish religious leaders in Jesus' day that together comprised the Jewish religious ruling council. So they got together. Verse 35, one of them, an expert in the law, tested Jesus with this question. Teacher. Which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Bow with me in prayer. Father, we... Pray that now you would guide us by your spirit as we seek to rightly understand, interpret, and apply your word to our lives as your people today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Well, here Jesus is confronted with a question. He's asked by an expert in the law, religious leader in Jesus' day, what the greatest command of God is. And 
Jesus responds with two commands. He responds with the command to love God with all that we are. He says that this is the first and greatest commandment. And then he says the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourselves. Love God and love your neighbor. He says that all of, all of Scripture, which at that time... Only scripture that had been written and compiled was the Old Testament. Jesus referring to the Old Testament here. Hung on these two commands. In other words, if we want to understand the rest of God's commands, if we want to understand God's requirement, God's expectations, God's desires for us, we need to understand these two principles that we are called upon to love God and to love our neighbor. This morning, we're going to... Focus in particularly on the first of these, the command in verse 37, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Jesus said, this is the first and greatest commandment. Church, our greatest responsibility is to love God. Your greatest responsibility in all of life is to to love God, the only God, the God who has made himself known to us. But imagine having the opportunity like this expert in the law did to ask Jesus just such a question. Jesus, what is the most important thing that I do? What is the most important commandment that God has given? And Jesus responds by quoting an Old Testament passage of Scripture found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Remember that Deuteronomy is a book that records the giving of the law, God's law to his people, Israel, in that day that was given in order to regulate their relationship with him and to reveal God's holiness, his standard, his character, and at the same time to reveal the inadequacies of people to live up to his standard. Law was never given as a means to salvation God knew that no one, no human, could live up to the perfect standard of, of God's law. In fact, Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 3, verse 24, that the law was given as a guardian or as a babysitter, really, to guide and to direct, to discipline, to, to reveal to us what the ideal citizen in God's kingdom looked like. But God has always been more interested in the condition of our hearts than he has than he is in our outward religious practice. The reality is that all of us, because we're gathered here this morning, are at least uh, somewhat involved in outward religious practice. But, but like your husband or your wife or perhaps your child who who wants you to love them with your heart more than just to do things, just more than just to do acts of service or care for them. God is interested in the condition of our hearts. He's interested in hearts that love Him, that are devoted to Him, that want Him. For this reason, He told His people through Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 6, He said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Therefore, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Seen as one of the most, if not the most important passage of Scripture in the Old Testament to God's people in that day. A passage of Scripture that devout Jews would would say twice a day, given in the context of giving God's instruction, because God knew that no one would ever live up to His standard that no one would ever even pursue 
faithful obedience to him if they did not first love him. Church, we are called to love God with all that we are. We are called to love God with our whole being. But if we're going to do that, or if we're going to attempt to do that, we must first recognize that we are not God. God is not us, and we are not Him. We must acknowledge and admit that we are not our own God. Admit that you are not your own God. That sounds rather obvious. Perhaps all of us will say, of course, we know that we are not God. I'm a man, or I'm a woman, or I'm a a child. But how often do we live and operate and function and make decisions as if this was true? How often do we make decisions based on our own interests without ever consulting the one who is God? I'm absolutely convinced that there is something deep within all of us. Sin, pride, that whispers to us, you are the most important. You are the most important in your life. So put your comforts and your pursuits and your desires and your ambitions first before everyone and and everything else. But the Bible says loud and clear, no, you and I are not God. We are creatures that have been made in the image of the one and only God who has revealed himself to us in his written word. And has revealed himself to us in his incarnated word, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. Church, our greatest responsibility is to love that God, the one and only God. And our greatest legacy will be our love for God. Greatest responsibility in all of life is to love God. And your greatest legacy will be your love for God. If we took a poll this morning and asked Question, what do you think of when you think of a King David? Those of you that are familiar with the stories of Scripture, heard the stories of David and what Scripture says about David, we'd probably get a variety of answers, but one answer that I'm sure we would hear multiple times is that David was a man after God's own heart. Because even though this man David's dirty laundry is aired out on the pages of this book for us to see, God's own testimony about that man in Acts chapter 13, verse 22, was that he was a man after God's own heart. What a legacy. Let's ask ourselves this morning, what will we be remembered for when when we leave this life and we are a memory, the hearts and minds of family and friends, those who knew us? Will you be remembered for a long career, perhaps as a, family man, someone with a good sense of humor, perhaps someone who made a lot of money or even someone who gave a lot of money, perhaps an avid college football fan. All of these fine things in and of themselves, but if we truly want to leave a legacy, if we truly want to leave an impact, a kingdom impact on on those we encounter, those we meet, then let's be people who love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind. Let's be people who put this God first, who cherish Jesus Christ, who walk with Christ, who value Him in all things. Church, your greatest responsibility is love 
is to love God. Your greatest legacy will be your love for God. And thirdly, your love for God is then expressed through worship. Your love for God is expressed through through worship, through worship of, of Him. After all, that's really what Jesus is calling God's people to do in this passage. It's what God expects of His people. He invites us, He calls us to love Him and He's inviting us to worship Him, to put Him first. I'm convinced that when we see His worth, then we will realize His worthiness and we will respond by worshiping Him. And we might say it sounds a bit presumptuous of of God to say that our greatest responsibility is to love Him and to Worship Him. After all, if somebody else spoke, of, spoke to us that way, we would think they were rather self-centered, rather proud, rather arrogant. But this is someone unlike any other someone. This is the creator of the universe. This is the author of life. This is the one who fashioned each of us together in His image, in His likeness. This is the one to whom we owe our existence And He invites us, He calls upon us to love and to worship Him, not only for His own glory, although He certainly deserves that, but also for our good. Because He knows that we will never be truly satisfied without knowing and walking and loving Him. Knowing Him and walking with Him and and loving Him. Our love for God is expressed through worship, and worship then is expressed through commitment. Our worship of God is expressed or should be expressed through our commitment to God. Again, if we were to take a poll, to define worship, what is worship? No doubt many boil down worship to the idea of singing or praising, perhaps praying. And these are all components, important components, essential components according to God's word of of worshiping God, but worship is far more than these things. Worship is expressed through a life that is characterized by commitment to God. I ask you this morning, what are you committed to? Whatever it is that each of us are committed to, that's what we value. That's what is important to us. Though I can't judge the condition of your heart and you can't judge the condition of my heart, if we spent some time together, if we spent some time with one another, we could make observations based upon how we talk and how we spend our time about what we are committed to, about what we value, about what we love, perhaps even what we worship. So how do you spend your time? What are you committed to? What are your first thoughts when you wake up in the morning? What are your last thoughts when you go to bed at night? What consumes you throughout your day? Worship is expressed through commitment to God. And worship is practiced through obedience to God. Worship is practiced through obedience. You see, if we love God, if we value God, if we cherish God, then it will lead us to a life of obedience to His standard. Lead us to a pursuit of honoring Him in in all that we do. Doesn't mean that we'll do it perfectly. Doesn't mean that we will do it rightly. But it will lead us to desire Him. To, to want Him. 
As mentioned earlier, the passage of Scripture, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, the central passage of Scripture in Scripture, particularly in the context of the Old Testament and the giving of the law, Deuteronomy chapter 6. God gave this instruction, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength in the context of, of giving His law. In the context of giving His commands, His standard that His people were to live up to because He knew they would never obey Him if they did not first love Him. We live in a day and a time in which people react strongly against this idea of a standard. React strongly against this idea of an authority. The reality is none of us are a final authority. Our wishes, our desires, our wants, our opinions are not the standard. God sets the standard. He is the supreme one, the sovereign king who who sets the standard for us. And if we love him, then we will have a desire to obey him. Worship is expressed through commitment. Worship is practiced through obedience. And thirdly, worship is communicated through praise. Worship of God is communicated through praise. Again, if we love God, if we love Him with our heart, if we love Him with our soul, if we love Him in our mind, then we will want to praise Him. We will want to declare His greatness as the psalmist did in Psalm 96, verses 4 and following. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the nations are idols, but, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him, strength and glory in his sanctuary. Church, worship is expressed through commitment. Worship is practiced through obedience and, and worship is communicated through praise. I think Matthew chapter 22, Jesus' words in response to this question, we learn that worship is the overflow of our love for God. Worship and a life of Worship and acts of worship and words of worship are an overflow of our love for God. No doubt we have many different people represented in a room like this on Sunday morning. Perhaps we have people all across what we might call a spiritual spectrum. We may have some folks that are very committed to the Lord, who love the Lord. Perhaps he is even most important at this moment in their lives. And no doubt there are others who perhaps worship and loving the Lord is hardly even on the radar. Let's just even the playing field all at once by saying that none of us have loved God in a way that he deserves. None of us have worshipped him in a way that fully declares his greatness and his goodness. And his worth. All of us have fallen short of the standard. All of us have failed to to live up to, to this command. That God calls us to continually pursuing him. To love him. To know him. To worship him. To give our lives for him. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And all means all. Means every single part, not leaving any corner of our lives out of the picture. I don't think these parts are mentioned so much to describe the various parts, but to emphasize the whole. All of us, 
We are called to love Him with our whole being, with everything that is in us. And worship is an overflow of that love for God. Perhaps you are hearing this this morning and you, you believe this to be true. I mean, after all, Jesus said it. You believe that this is the most important thing that you are to do. But it can be difficult at times to muster up love for someone. Perhaps you know this to be true, but you know at the same time how challenging it is to indeed love God this way, to worship Him with all that you are. And you know, there are some people in life that can be somewhat difficult to love. Perhaps you have a personality clash or there's been a past experience that's difficult to overcome. The good news is that God is not like those people. The bad news is that we are all that person to someone else, right? But the God who invites us, who calls us to love Him with all that we are, is quite lovable. He is a God who, if we really knew, we would love. There is nothing not to love about the God who invites us and calls us and expects us, who desires us to love Him and and to worship Him. He is the God in the words of Psalm 103, verses 3 and following. He is the God who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. He is the God who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. He is the God who works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He is the God who made known His way to Moses, His deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will He harbor His anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His love for those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him. For He knows how we are formed. God remembers that we are dust. God knows us. And despite our flaws, despite our failures, despite our sins, He loves us. The God who invites us to love Him is the God who, in the words of Paul in Romans chapter 5, demonstrates His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So friends, if you want to love God, if you want to worship Him in a way that honors Him, then let me urge you, let me invite you, let me invite all of us to get to know this God. Get to know God. Because I am absolutely convinced that as we get to know Him, as we familiarize ourselves with who He is and how He has made Himself known to us, He's not left us in the dark as to who He is. He has told us in His Word. As we get to know Him, our love for Him will increase and worship will overflow out of our lives in praise of Him. Get to know God. Well, how do you get to know God? 
some sense like you would get to know someone else. Like you would get to know a neighbor or a family member or a co-worker or a friend. Listen to and speak with God. Friends, let's listen to God and speak with God. Let's listen to Him in His Word as He has made Himself known to us. He has spoken, revealing who He is, what He is like, and who we are in light of who He is. Let's get to know this God. Let's listen to what He has to say, and let's respond with prayer and with adoration and with praise. Let's respond in this relationship with Him. Let's observe what He has to say. Let's read what he has to say. Let's observe what he's done and let's respond with honesty before him. Worship is the overflow of our love for God. Let's get to know God. Let's listen to and speak with God. And finally, let's spend time with others who also love God. It's people of faith who want to honor God, who who want to love God as he deserves, who want to live lives of obedience and worship and commitment before him, let's spend time with others who also love this God. The reality is that God has given us one another. He has given us the church in his design that we might be encouraged by each other, that we might benefit from one another, that we might gather together often and miss rarely in order to sharpen each other and to encourage each other and to hold each other accountable and together grow in love for the one and only God. A love that then overflows into a life of worshiping Him, worshiping the one who is our maker, the one who is our redeemer, and the one who is our Lord. Father, we, we thank you for this gathering. We thank you for this time that, that Christians have been gathering together week after week after week for centuries to worship you together or to grow together in faith in you. Father, may that be true of us who are known as Meadowbrook Baptist Church. May we be a people who are committed to you and committed to walking with you together. Father, lead us to worship you. Lead us to love you. Prod us to serve and obey you with all that we are for our own good, but Lord, for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen.